This is On and Off Your Mat podcast episode 9. Are you up for aerial yoga? My name is Erica and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Michelle Dortignac. Michelle is the founder of Unata Aerial Yoga. She's been a yoga teacher for nearly 20 years and a professional aerial acrobatic performer for almost as long. Since 2006, she grew Unata Aerial Yoga to a worldwide phenomenon with teachers in over 30 countries. Although she's not the inventor of aerial yoga per se, she contributed immensely to its popularity in the US. Today we sat down to talk about aerial yoga in general and her journey through it all. As always, I really appreciate your support. So as you leave a review on iTunes or on your iPhone podcast app, you automatically enter our giveaway. Once more, Atleta is supporting this podcast in their effort to ignite a community of strong women who lift each other up and is giving out a $75 shop card. If you want to know more, stay tuned. I'll give more details at the end of the show and I'll announce the winner of the last giveaway. Before we start, I just wanted to define unata for you. It simply means raised or elevated, perfect in the context of aerial yoga. Okay, enough of me talking. Let's get to the episode. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Erica. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Although aerial yoga has been around for a while, I recently noticed how it's been popping up more and more in studios around me, and I've done it a few times, and I really enjoy it. So I thought it'd be a great subject to talk about on the podcast. Okay. For people that don't know you, can you tell us a bit more about yourself, uh, what brought you to yoga originally, and how did your practice evolve towards aerial yoga eventually? Uh, well, you know, I've been uh, practicing yoga for almost 30 years, so it's a little bit of a long history. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I would say that when I first moved to New York City, that I had come to New York City to be a artist and dancer, mm -hmm. uh, modern dance specifically. And I enrolled in a, in sort of a, like a training program that was, uh, very avant-garde and it was, uh, led and run and, uh, taught by uh, several of the teachers who were part of, um, Tisch NYU's school, Tisch School of the Arts, um, alternative program for movement and theater. And so they kind of were starting their own little school in a way mm -hmm. that was based off of what they were seeing was happening in Europe and Europe dance schools. And so, uh, there was a whole mix of different kinds of dance that you would find there. They had flamenco, they had contact improvisation, they had ballet, um, and they also had yoga as mm. one of the, one of the items to take. So I really started doing yoga in that context of, from a dancer's perspective and from the perspective of it's a movement art form in a way. Um, and, but also with the respect that, you know, comes from maybe a different part of the world. It's, you know, something very unique on its own. And it is something that has a lot more depth to it as opposed to just a physical fitness exercise. Sure. Um, because the way we would take these classes is, is it was set up like, a, like a school, you know, where you would take a semester, mm -hmm. you know, of one class and then you would take another semester, you know, so I would have maybe four or five classes I was doing and it was full time. So it was, um, it was really an interesting, unique program and I, I don't think they're doing it anymore. And, uh, but that's really where I found yoga. So, um, after doing that course, I kept going with my dance studies. And what I found is that at that time, um, in New York city, you know, in the, on the, on the lower East side, East village, you know, alphabet city area where all the modern dancers were hanging out. That's what, that's what dancers were studying. They were doing, um, yoga 
instead of dance classes. That's what everyone was studying because the the type of movement that was being done in uh, you know some of the major companies was something they were calling like quote unquote release technique. Mm-hmm. And if you think of Trisha Brown and a lot of what um, she even still how she moved how she has her dancers move today, then it's very you know, very similar to that. So, um, so people were doing yoga. So I would do one yoga class and one ballet class a week. That's pretty much all I could afford. (laughs) And, uh, and then, you know, trying out for auditions and choreographing and, you know, and because I don't have a typical dancer's body. Um, and I had a lot of creativity. I was making a lot of my own work and, you know, dancing for people you've never heard of, you know, and doing very experimental things. And it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. And basically when that ran its course after about seven years or so, um, I uh, went into, I just sort of naturally developed into, well, I guess, you know, now what do I do with my life kind of thing? And I became a yoga teacher. I enrolled in a course uh, with Cindy Lee at Ohm Yoga Center. And it was... What year was that? Oh, that must have been 98, 1998. Because I believe it was a few months. The program was maybe four months. And I think it started at the beginning of 1998. Okay. and so, um, yeah, and I moved to the city in 1991. So that was, a, you know, a while afterwards. And, um, and then, you know, became a yoga instructor. I, I was um, blessed to have been invited to, to teach at Ohm from pretty much right away. And it was at, towards the beginning of what would be a, considered a yoga boom in, mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, in the U.S. And so it was not difficult to get yoga teaching jobs. And so that quickly became my full-time, you know, uh, activity and career. And I, I was perfectly happy to let go of the dance at that time. I felt I had, you know, done what I could with it. And, um, and it was really nice actually to take a lot of that information that I gleaned from being a dancer. And, um, you know, a lot of the type of dance I was doing was based on body mind centering and, you know, um, really highly, uh, detailed work on alignment. And so I was able to actually take a lot of that information and just insert it into my yoga classes. And, um, yeah, you know, and, and it was, uh, and students appreciated it, you know, they liked it, you know, uh, I was finally getting paid to do what I like to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) instead of having to do temp work or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it was, uh, it was really great. It was, you know, dream come true. It was all fantastic. And I eventually, you know, got married to my now husband and it was, life was grand and, um, and it, you know, it still is, but there was a transition point that happened. Uh, and I, I mean, I almost hate to, to say it because it's, it's not a, a pleasant transition, but we had, a the 9-11, the World Trade Center attacks that happened here in New York City. And it really was a very profound effect on everybody. But for the people who lived here, it was, um, I think, perhaps maybe just a little more of a wake-up call. And, uh, and not that I felt that my life was off track, but there was, I think, a part of my psyche that was like, you're not done with, mm-hmm. you know, dance and performance yet. And um, even though I had just gotten married and we were like, you know, settle, we're like nesting, starting to settle down, you know, talking about kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that happened. And I just, some part of me just felt like, okay, something's not quite right. Um, and this was the case for many people, many people like, you know, quit their jobs and, you know, many people had kids, you know, many, many people did, you know, moved, you know, I mean, it was really like a reckoning for, for many people. Um, but, uh, so, so anyway, so, uh, a few months after that, I, I was, uh, 
I literally had a dream and I woke up from this dream that was so powerful that it literally like catapulted me upright into sitting from, from the sleeping, Mm -hmm. like all at once. And this dream was of me doing, you know, basically this, what we now call the silks, you know? Yeah. So, um, it was such a powerful sensation and I literally have not had one that strong, like a dream that strong since, um, or prior to that I felt, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure out what that is. Now that must've been, I want to say, well, I mean, we know what year that was. It was 2001, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it was, I think, towards the end of that year. And, uh, and, um, you know, at that time in New York City, there, there was no trapeze school. There, there weren't like, you know, not everyone was doing aerial acrobatics. It wasn't something that really was around. And I didn't even know really what to call it. I didn't know it was, came from the circus. I didn't know it was a circus art. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any of that. I had just seen it in a, in a few places where, um, where I had been doing, um, I had still been doing some, some dance work stuff for, uh, for a company called Pink Inc. And they would do like big corporate events. So, you know, maybe, uh, you know, some big corporation has a breakfast or something. And so they have like some sort of entertainment and frequently what happens with that is, is you'll get several different like entertainment from different companies, not just one company. So I was seeing it around a little bit from other, from other companies and, uh, and, that, you know, so I think that's where the image came from. And, and then the idea of like, oh my goodness, I have to do that really struck me. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I didn't know what to call it. I had to, you know, back, back then also not everything was on the internet. It was like, <laughs> you know, it just, things have changed so much. Yeah. So, um, so I eventually figured out, you know, found someone who said they would teach me that I could really only do privates, but that's a great thing actually. Cause even though privates cost more, it's, you're going to excel and, and, and learn and grow much faster, you know, when you get that personal attention and you get all the time on the equipment with just you. So, um, so, uh, and it, it was, you know, a lot of coincidence and luck involved in it where the person who said, you know, she could teach me, you know, just happened to teach classes literally just down the street from where I lived. So I didn't even have to travel far, Mm. you know, and, uh, and it was, uh, it just worked out. Yeah. And I have to say that if I didn't have that, um, that intense feeling like, oh my goodness, I was meant to do this or like, you know, God's telling me to do this. Talk for about intuition. Reason. Yeah. If I didn't have that, that feeling, I never would have stuck with it because it was so painful and so <laughs> uncomfortable that first class. And, um, because I, I was strong and I had like some gymnastics background and stuff that the teacher, she's like, oh, well you, you know, look like you can handle more. So she gave me like on the first day we were doing something like a thigh drop, you know, which was <laughs> Now that I look back on it, I'm like, that's kind of not necessarily crazy, but it was, it's, it's pretty, pretty strong, intense mm-hmm. first sensation. So right. I was so bruised and sore, like for the whole week that by the time I went back at the, you know, the end of the week, I, I could barely move, you know, but, um, but it wound up being that, that, you know, I just stuck with it and, and it became a thing. But I think the thing is, is that by the time I came to doing Ariel, I had already become a yoga teacher. And I was a yoga teacher for several years Mm because that was in 98, you know, when I graduated from um, 
training and like became a full-time yoga teacher, I think by 99. So by 2001, I was already really ensconced in that. And, um, and so I, I really approached this, you know, training as I didn't think I would ever perform. I didn't think I, I didn't know where it was going to go. I just knew I had to try it sort of thing. Um, and, uh, but I, I, I was a yoga teacher and I could feel where my yoga asana practice was helping and what parts were kind of missing. Like Mm -hmm. there were some missing links, you know, and, um, one of the missing links was for the shoulders. Uh, it's pretty common that, uh, you know, your, your shoulder joint, the way it is, is, is not a ball and socket in the same way that your hip joint is. It's not quite as encased. Mm -hmm. So there's, potential for a lot of range of motion and movement, which is a good thing. But the more you stretch that and the more you work on that, if you're not also simultaneously building the strength around it, you can get, yeah, the stability. Yeah. You can, you can, you know, get some minor injuries. I'm not saying permanent damage or anything, but get strains and things like that. And so, um, I found that when I started working with the, with the aerial, aerial acrobatics that, you know, any sort of sensitivity I had in my shoulders just went away like Mm. immediately. And, uh, that was amazing to me because it's not that I was unaware of strength, you know, and how, and, and, uh, and how to use my core muscles and things like that. I also really discovered what deep core muscles were mm-hmm. through doing early acrobatics. And I, you have to understand at that time and now even I, I was the person who's doing handstands in the middle of the room, you know, because yeah. I, I used to be a gymnast. So it's not like I was super weak, by the time I came to aerial acrobatics and it's not like I was unaware of good alignment. Um, so it was really surprising. It was an eye opener. And, uh, the third thing I really noticed was that doing back bends was just super comfortable because of all the space that you get in your spine. So you can really explore your back bends, sure. um, pretty deeply. And, uh, uh, so, so there you go. So I, I thought, oh, that's great. These are a nice compliment. And, um, you know, not, didn't think much of it. Wound up one thing leads to another. Eventually I wound up performing, um, and getting into that. And I would tour around and, you know, various little, little shows. I, I never performed with Cirque du Soleil. It never became like my career, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, little shows around the city. I, I hate to say recitals, but things kind of like that, you know? Sure. Um, and, uh, and so, that was great. I think what eventually happened at that point is one of my friends who I met through the, through the aerial acrobatics world, um, is someone who worked at a place called NECA, which is in Vermont and it's, uh, a circus school. And she was telling me, oh yeah, you know, we have someone there teaching aerial yoga. And I had met a couple other people who were doing this thing called aerial yoga. And, you know, after a few years of that, of hearing about that, I thought, hey, you know, I should do it because it wasn't popular and no one was doing it in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like, okay, you know, I have a good shot at um, standing out a little bit from all the other yoga teachers, you know, cause by now, by that time, probably, I think that was maybe 2003 or four, it's, uh, you know, people, it was, the boom was really taking over, you know, and yoga was everywhere. So it, to be able to stand out a little and just, you know, bring, bring that in. And then also my curiosity with like, well, what would an aerial yoga class look like or be like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, what, what would that be? And my yoga training you know, I already knew about Iyengar and the rope wall and, uh, my personal experience of my, um, 
perception of the aerial acrobatics and how that fit in with my, my yoga training, mm-hmm. um, and what, you know, what, what could be beneficial for yoga students to get from working just a little bit on aerial acrobatics, uh, apparatus, um, that I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to create a class. So that's pretty much what I did at that point. I, I just, you know, went into the studio where I was, you know, training acrobatics and just started working a little bit on it. And I thought hard, like, well, what, you know, which apparatus would I want to use? And, and I decided not to use the silks because it's just too difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't really get into doing anything. You have to always tie a knot for yourself. So mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, you know, why don't I do, um, maybe there's, there's an, uh, a circus apparatus called a cloud swing, mm-hmm. which is a, a rope that they hang from both ends. And so it makes, you know, a big, like almost like a neck, looks like a necklace. Right. And you would swing on that. And I thought, well, maybe I do like a cloud swing, you know, something that's like a loop. And then it was like, okay, well maybe I'll do that with fabric. And so, you know, one thing leads to another and, and, you know, just seeing what else is going on in the circus world and what else is out there. I think it's, it's interesting because it, it's like, you know, people are constantly asking me like, well, who came up with this? I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, no one person came up with it. Cause there's, you have to understand the context of, you know, there's a lot already out there. And so maybe, you know, one person's thought takes it another step, but it's not like they invented the wheel, you sure. know what I mean? So, um, that's pretty much how it evolved. And, and, uh, in fact, you know, there was even something that was made out of parachute material mm. that was um, like, you know, the, the what looks like the, fa- the hammocks that we use today um, that was, I don't remember what the company company's name that was selling it, like Ohm Sling or Ohm Gym or something. I don't even know what they called it, but um, they were selling that product in you know, in the, in the commercial section in the back of yoga journal magazine, mm-hmm. they were selling that product and from ever since I could remember. So, I mean, that would have been 1998 when I first became a yoga teacher and started like subscribing to yoga journal. And, uh, so that was out there. So it was in my consciousness. And when I started studying at my current teacher's studio, um, his name is Dharma Mitra, they had one of those sort of, uh, apparatuses there you know, in the corner. And so it's, it's like, it was all there in my head. And and I thought, okay, well, the only thing I'm going to contribute to this is maybe try to make a full class out of it, you mm-hmm. know, where it's like, not just, you know, something you would do before class or after class or, or just that you're in your home on your own to, to like prep yourself for, you know, for the, for yoga on the floor, just to give you an inversion, you know, that kind of thing. I thought, let's make a whole class around it. And I also felt because I live in New York that maybe I had a shot, you know, at making it something, um, more than just about me and my crazy ideas, you know, sure. <laughs> so I that, there you go. Sure. And, so, um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you know, I could just keep going on and on. (laughs) I was going to say the other part of it was that my husband is a, uh, is a web developer. So he designs websites and that was the, another very integral part about this even taking off is that he, you know, was like, let's put together a website. So, you know, we look up the domain name. I mean, just to aerial yoga was available. So, I mean, it's pretty clear that even if I, I didn't feel, I don't feel like I invented the whole concept, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's clear it wasn't really being done because that was, you know, whatever it is on GoDaddy, $12.99 or whatever to buy the domain name and you got it. (laughs) So, um, so, uh, he made a whole website around it and, and we, uh, really did a lot of, um, you know, catering to allowing press to come and take coverage, you know, so we made like a whole press kit area. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the first two, um, 
organizations, news organizations that contacted us or did or that did coverage on it never even contacted me. So and I think the first one was a, a, something called Lime.com. And they did uh, they did like an article or something and just pulled the photos from our press kit and, you know, the description we have from our press kit. <laughs> and then the, what I soon started to realize is that news organizations are looking for news, right? And so they actually search and there's certain companies or organizations they look to, to kind of see, kind of see like, well, what's the newest, hottest thing. So uh, immediately after the Lime.com article, then there was another one, I think it's called, um, was it Good Hunting or something like that? Goodhunting.com did something. And then after that, it was like, it really picked up. A lot of people were contacting us and, and saying, you know, well, what, um, what, you know, can you, can we do an article or can we come and do sure. a video or whatever, you know, that sort of thing, or can we do an interview? And, and it picked up from there. And then, um, after that, I believe that, uh, anti-gravity came along and they, they came through crunch really. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least my perception, I don't, I don't really know. I'm not privy to, to whatever conversations they had with crunch, but I first started seeing that that was, that class was available in 2008. And I think, you know, crunch gym is a big gym. So they have, uh, they have the, you know, the, the advertising power and the, and the marketing power behind, behind whatever new programs that they put into place. And Mm -hmm. so they did that. And then, um, and so then it was like all over the city, people saw photos of this and then it became like, I think that's when it really started to explode. The idea of aerial yoga is when, you know, more of that gym and corporate, corporate money came into being able to spread the word really. And, um, and so there you go. And so then it just kept going from there. So you just mentioned um, anti-gravity yoga. You founded mm-hmm. what you call now Unata Aerial Yoga. What's the difference yeah. between the two? Well, I have to admit I've never taken an anti-gravity yoga class, so I, I can't really speak about what they do. I can only go by rumor, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, many students who've come into our class say that they feel a really big difference between the two and that um, I, I believe that anti-gravity yoga pulls a little bit more from just sort of fitness training. And, uh, I, I, I believe Christopher Harrison is, is an ex-gymnast. So maybe more, a little bit more gymnasticy type elements in it. Um, and they were a performance company. So I know they were doing aerial performance and I, I think that they, their, their classes just stress a little bit more of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, they really focused on getting into fitness centers. So, um, a lot of times when people do yoga in a fitness center, there's certain elements of a yoga class that they would, you know, overlook or drop out or sort of modify. Um, and a lot of that is the spiritual parts. And so that's pretty much what I hear is that it's like, okay, it's more active and physical. And what you get from a Nunate or yoga classes, we're focused more on, you know, basically what my focus has always been with yoga is mm-hmm. about alignment, about breathing, about, you know, going inside, uh, which I, if you've never heard that term, it seems kind of silly, I guess, on a level, on some level, but we have to remember that yoga classes are originally meant to, you know, it's got nothing to do with your physical body. It's got everything to do with your mind Mm -hmm. and, um, really about getting your, your mind to transition from only really experiencing what it sees and feels and going into a more intuitive, intuitive place and really getting a little more connected to, uh, being, being, um, uh, willing to be guided by, 
what would be perceived as an outside spiritual source. So um, that's really more what my goal is with classes too, is to try and help get to get students to understand that process and to, and to go along with that process. And if nothing else, to better understand what they're trying to do with their floor asana, which is another big part of what Unata is about. So we frequently go to the floor, we use the floor, mm-hmm. um, The class is really more, in my mind, it's more of a floor yoga class where we use the hammock to bring lightness to it and to bring levity and to bring a little bit more, um, you know, just just moments of floating and levitating as opposed to like, uh, I think some students come in and they're surprised that you use a yoga mat, Mm -hmm. you know, because their perception is, oh, it's... um, yoga, like, you know, physical yoga postures all in the air. Mm-hmm. That's how they interpret the words aerial yoga. Yeah. And, um, in my uh, mind, it's just, a, it's a light, a, like an aerial version of a yoga, of a, what I would consider a traditional yoga class. So, you know, it's very interesting what you call something. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, words can be interpreted in many different ways. So would you say the only difference between a regular yoga class and an unata Uh, aerial yoga would be the the way you approach the physical asanas and the rest is very similar um yeah i guess that's that's true um but you know in many ways i think of it like you know i use the hammock the many ways the way i would imagine an iyengar teacher does use their rope wall you know it's just considered a prop to assist you to go further or to better understand or to give access to certain people like you know some people have you know, let's say you have like a herniated disc in your neck. You're like, you wouldn't want to do headstand. It's not, mm-hmm. that's not something you should do. Right. But you can still invert if you're not putting the pressure on your head. So, you know, we'll get people, uh, frequently who have, you know, spinal issues, something like along those lines where it's better for them to do inversions without the compression. So, um, so I, I think of it as we use the hammock, like, like a prop, like you would a brick or you would a belt, you know, periodically. Mm-hmm. And because it's called aerial yoga, you know, throughout the class, but we use it in many different ways, not just simply to get your physical body off the ground. Sometimes I have people use it as like a massage roller mm-hmm. in a way to help you sort of dig into some, some of those deep layers of muscles that are just not letting go. You know, they just, yeah. they're holding on for dear life, you know, because they're holding on to something deep in your psyche that, that you can't let go of. And so it's a way to sort of coax people into just understanding what's going on for them internally. Once again, going more inside, you know, what's going on for you internally and what can you let go of so that you can be guided, you know, you can allow yourself to be guided. Do you think it makes the practice maybe more accessible to certain people? Like you were saying, if you have spinal issues, but why would Mm -hmm. you recommend people to try or are there more specific benefits to this practice compared to a regular yoga practice? Regular yoga practice. Um, you mean just a practice without any like props? a hatha class? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, you know, it's. I've heard many times that it's really good for back pain, and you mentioned spinal issues, but I wonder if there's other particular benefits. 
I would say that anything, this, I would say this about anything, that anytime there's a benefit, there's always a downside, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there's always yin with yang together. So yes, it can be great for people who have spinal back pain or back issues. Or like, you know, sometimes I get, I have gotten a lot of people who have scoliosis Mm -hmm. and it just, because it's going to give you some space. If you also match that with knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. and work and working with alignment and then also match that with working on once you get the new alignment, like work on strengthening around that. Yeah. So you have the stability, then it's, it can be really beneficial and can help people go places, I think a little faster, but you know, faster sometimes isn't good, right? So <laughs> like, fast track works for many people and then some people it's not good for. So, I mean, I would, I would almost say that if you have a, an ish, an issue, like a physical issue that you're working with, that you, you, it's not like just jump into a class. I I would say, come and just, you know, we'll, we'll fix it all. I think you should, you know, check in with someone who's like a medical professional to really see if this kind of thing actually would be good for you. Cause I know it can be, but I hate to just say out to the general public, oh yeah, it's great for you. If you've got, you know, disc or something, cause I don't really know that. And, and everyone's body is very specific and everyone's condition is very specific, but, but, you know, to try and answer your question a little more clearly and, and more, you know, with more confidence, I'd say, (laughs) um, it, yes, spinal and back issues, um, you know, the inversion thing is a big one in that any, for anyone who might have an issue with inverting for whatever reason that this can get you there fairly quickly. And what, you know, one thing I have found is that once people invert with the hammock, there, there literally are perfectly upside down, you know, and that's the major stumbling block. I think when I Mm. think of students doing inversions on the floor is that it's really hard to perceive when you're completely vertical upside down. And it's actually can be kind of scary, you know, and so people stop themselves from ever getting there. And, um, so after practicing inversions with the hammock and you get comfortable, you get to understand what is that sensation, you know, of being completely Mm. vertical upside down. And then you can bring that to your floor practice. And, uh, and then it just makes it easier for you to find that again on the floor. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's actually always has been very difficult for me to answer the question you asked mm-hmm. because I really see them as symbiotic. Yeah. You know, I'm not really trying to replace someone's floor pra- practice with, with the Nunata aerial yoga class. I want them to do both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should do both. Do everything you can, sure. you know, to progress yourself. Absolutely. So you mentioned that there's possible downside. And you also mentioned that people get scared with regular inversions. Are there more risk or is it as a safe of a practice? Or I think people might be concerned with safety of falling off the hammock or staying upside down for too long or anything like that. Right, right. Well, I would say that you, first of all, staying upside down too long, you can do in a floor yoga class too. Mm, So, I mean, that's something you should be concerned about anyway. Um, But in the hammock, yes, it's easy to go upside down, but also people feel the intensity of your fluids traveling to your head mm-hmm. more, much more when you do it with a hammock. So I, I really don't think it's possible to stay upside down too long from that perspective because people come up out of it a lot sooner. Mm. So, and you have to, you have to practice to be able to stay upside down for long periods of time. So, um, my personal belief is that that one is not something to really be like, you know, to put it as a worry in your head. Um, it's understandable that people would have a fear of falling out of the hammock because if they're afraid of falling mm-hmm. when they're on the floor, 
going upside down, then take it off the floor and go even higher. I would think that that, you know, I mean, it's just natural that that would be a fear. Um, As long as you have a teacher who's trained though, (laughs) it's really not necessary to have that fear. But one of the benefits of doing a class like this is to confront your fears, like go to that and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, work with it, work through it and conquer that and recognize that that is part of the whole, once again, going inside, learning how to let go. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot, I think a lot of times people's people have, you know, they're, if they're not connected to, um, an idea of some sort of spiritual, uh, connection to, to something out there. You know, I, I I don't want to call it a a specific name. Right. Mm But, um, but if you have, if you, if you're not involved in that many times, I think what is at the heart of that is fear and just learning how to let go of the fear of what it would be like to allow yourself to be influenced by, you know, a, a, a higher knowledge or, you know, other, if you even want to consider it like, you know, other uh, other beings, you know, uh, it, the whole concept of yoga is that I can talk a little bit deeper about it, that, that we all have a piece of what we call Brahma inside of us, you know, mm-hmm. and that is essentially what is your soul. So you already are connected, even if you don't really perceive it or deny, or if you deny it, it doesn't matter. You are connected. Mm-hmm. And really it's just a matter of being okay with that, you know, and that's the process of, of a yoga, yoga practice is to try and get you to, you know, let go of that defense, defense around all of that and just be okay. And, uh, okay with what is okay with understanding that maybe you're not in control all the time, you know, uh, that sort of thing. And so, you know, practicing with a hammock actually can help you see that in a very concrete way and feel that in a very concrete way in the, in the physical world, you know, which is, I do think is harder to get from a floor yoga class, quite honestly. So, um, so there you go. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good point. Um, in my experience, when I did it physically, I felt a pretty big difference between like an active versus a passive stretch. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a better or more risky practice for people that are either hypermobile or very unstable in their joint? Or is it actually going to really help them bring it in and keep it a little bit controlled? First of all, I am so happy you asked this question. And, um, and so that I just want to start with that because (laughs) I think this is a topic that is kind of coming up more now in the yoga community and, and, and everywhere too, not just with aerial yoga. And, um, and it had, I don't feel like it had been talked about a lot in, in the past, you know, I've been a yoga teacher for 20 years, so it's sort of coming up now and I haven't heard about it before. Um, or if I had, it was, you know, just very casual. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I will say that if you are someone who's hypermobile, if it's coming from, especially from like your ligaments, you have like really loose ligaments that I think that, um, that it is something you have to be very cautious of. And maybe aerial yoga is not the yoga style for you to start with, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And if you take a class in it, you're going to want to make sure that you um, listen to all the cues where we encourage people to be active instead of being passive. The trick is that, you know, most people, they're taking group yoga classes, right? And the group class is filled with people of all different body sizes Mm -hmm. and all shapes and all backgrounds and all ages, you know, and different stages along the path. So um, many times as teachers, we have to give sort of like what is the most common instruction 
and uh, what's going to help the majority of people. Because if we went through the laundry list of every mm-hmm. single little thing, people would be in the position for way too long. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and then you have to take them out of it. So, um, and, and it's, it's not quite as common to be hypermobile and loose as it is to be maybe stiff and tight. So, uh, so I would say that, that those cues aren't always given, but they, you know, if you are a hypermobile person, just be aware of that and give them to yourself, you know, start, start being more active in, in your, in the positions when you're holding things. And just remember that a hold, you know, it's maybe not the best word that I'm using. When you stay in a position, you're not really holding it. You should feel that you're breathing in it and pulsating in it Mm. in a way. You're actually very active. And this Mm -hmm. is true using a hammock or not, you know, Mm -hmm. you're very active inside, but that activity is, you know, drawing you in, you know? So the, um, the concept of moving in two directions at the same time, you know, gives you the length, right? That, that would be on the floor. You know, as you push down into the ground, you also rise up towards the sky. Yeah. So in the hammock, um, a lot of that can be done for you. If you relax, you'll be dropping towards the floor as part of you is being held in space. So you're getting the lengthening through release. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you're someone who's hypermobile, you might want to feel like you're trying to draw yourself together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's some yoga, um, techniques on the, you know, that are more known on the floor. Like I remember Anusara was really big with doing that, you know, drawing in, yeah. drawing in to the midline. So, um, yeah, to the midline. Exactly. So, um, and if you, if you know a little bit more about yoga, then that starts to become like, oh, that's really what they're talking about is, is getting people to engage in their bandhas, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, really understanding and learning that drawing in at the same time you're radiating out. Well, you can do the same thing with the hammock. And mm-hmm. it just is the case that most frequently the people that are coming to, to my, like, you know, my open classes, you know, weekly classes sort of thing are people who are either trying it, trying yoga for the first time, trying sometimes trying movement for the first time, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, not really, not really athletic. And so I'm really just trying to get them to relax a lot more. So a lot of the cues I'm giving are release, let go, you know, this sort of stuff. Um, and if you are a hypermobile person, just be aware that, that's, you're that one who wants to, who wants to make sure that if you're in a position where gravity is going to keep pulling you longer, then you're going to want to draw in and, and almost, uh, not fight against it, but, um, what's, what would be a word for that? Compensate for. Yeah. Compensate, compensate. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good word. Any other tips for first time students that come and I've never done yoga before or just never done aerial? Tips. I'm sure you say a lot of stuff when you start class. Uh, I've heard, you know, jewelry, lotions, like there's stuff that you have to expect that you can't do with the hammock that wouldn't matter normally. That you wouldn't, you wouldn't think of when you're doing a a class without a specialized Mm -hmm. prop like that. Um, I think, I think nowadays, I mean, because you, you talked about those, that's, that's all good. That's all well and good, you know, take care of the hammock and also make sure you don't get caught up in it, you know, sort of thing. But, um, but you know, really the main thing is come with an open mind Mm. as you know, because I feel that nowadays, especially there's so many images out there and, and so many, you know, with the internet and, you know, sharing and this and that, and, and there's kind of, there's a lot of different variations and of expectations. What one, yeah. Of what one considers to be aerial yoga, you know, and, and, uh, like I would say that 
sometimes people come to my class and I almost feel like it's, I feel like it's almost not a detriment, but I, I'm always a little concerned when someone says, oh yeah, I've done classes like these somewhere else. Cause I'm like, I don't know what they did, you know, (laughs) (laughs) were they doing an acrobatics class and they were in their head, just calling it yoga, you know, uh, were they doing, were they, did they do an anti-gravity yoga class, which stresses different things, you know, and I'm going to ask them to sit still for a while and breathe, you know, how are they going to react to that? Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's, it's, that's really the main thing I would say is just come with an open mind and, um, maybe also just research your teacher a little and just make sure they've had education and training. <laughs> like any class. <laughs> yeah. Right. Whoever's teaching that sort of thing. One thing I want to touch up before we wrap up is how did aerial yoga impact or change the course of your life? How did it impact or change the course of my life? Well, you know, that's hard to know if I didn't know what was going to happen. That's true. That's a good point. So it's kind of like, I I guess it did and it didn't, you know. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, also another part of a yoga practice and lifestyle when you really embrace the whole practice is that there's this belief once again in the, in like a higher being or a guidance and, and karma comes along with that. And, you know, with karma, at least the way my teacher talks about it, that's, it's, it was all going to happen anyway. You know, like Mm -hmm. you think you have a say in it. (laughs) (laughs) You think you have a say in it and you kind of have to move through life thinking that you have a say in it. But in general, if it wasn't meant to be, it wasn't meant to be, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I kind of think back to that and, and I'm like, well, you know, I don't think it necessarily changed my life. You know, how, how is it different now than it was before? Before I was teaching yoga classes and earning a living at that. Now I'm teaching yoga classes and earning a living yeah. at it. It's kind of the same thing, especially since I feel that with the with the way that I use the hammock, I am truly teaching yoga, not just, not just like, you know, the, the physical, the Hatha part, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm actually really trying to teach the whole concept of yoga and get students to really, you know, open up and uh, go inside. And so that's, that is a big part of it. And on some level, I've been able to go further into my understanding of how to teach and my understanding of you know, what that is and looks like and feels like because of use of the hammock and because I tried to teach it, you know, trying to explain it and trying to explain to someone who isn't me and my body. And, and it's been really great for that. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know if I didn't pick up on it, if I would have, you know, become someone who's sort of like a leader of a movement or, you know, of, of, you know, let's say I invented my own like yoga method or something, you know, other than using a hammock. Like, I don't know if I would have done that. I don't know if, um, (laughs) but I might've, you know, if after you've been teaching for 20, 30 years, I mean, you're really just, it's coming out of your unique mind and body's perspective of how to practice yoga, no matter what you trained in originally, you know, and who you trained with, um, there's always personality variation. So this just happens to be my personality variation. Um, and I don't know if I would have, um, created like a community the way I ha- I am doing now with Unata. You know, we train teachers how to teach. I have a few people who I trained how to train teachers, you know, so yeah. they, um, and we have to meet regularly to, you know, make sure we're all doing the similar, same thing, you know, on the same page with our understanding. And then as I get, as my understanding of how to use this hammock, develops. And as I learn a little bit more about this and that, or even just how to hang a hammock, you know, or, or mm-hmm. variations of, you know, as things keep going along, you know, um, 
I share that with people and I try to keep people up to date and that sort of stuff. And so that means that we, we really actually have ongoing commitment to our teachers when they train with us. You know, we, we keep them up to date and we try to help keep educating them and reinforce things that maybe they didn't learn perfectly the first time and, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of stuff. So I don't know if I would have done that. You know, that's a pretty big deal, sure. I think, actually. Yeah. Talking about teacher training, is there anything people should know if they're interested in becoming an Unata aerial yoga teacher? Aerial yoga teacher? Um, I would say that uh, we have a course prerequisite before you take our teacher training course of, of, of a yoga teacher training course, like a traditional one. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, something that's kind of like what standard is, is usually like a 200-hour training or something. Okay. Um, so that is yeah, – good to know. You have to have that under your belt before you can take our course because our course is is already, you know, a bit of a hybrid. So we want people to have that, you the know, basics. understanding and base, yeah, first. And it would be – even though we talk about, you know, chakras and bandhas and, you know, some – and we do breathing techniques and stuff during our teacher training course, it's inappropriate to be learning about them for the first time in our teacher training course. So, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's – that is something that you would need to do. And um, and I'll tell you that everyone who has done that, you know, who, who is specifically gone to a 200-hour teacher training course just so that they could access our teacher training course has really thanked me afterward and said that they really felt that it they could see where it was actually truly really important for them to have gotten that. And, um, and so that's something you would need to know. Yeah. And – <laughs> I think other than that, really just, you know, that that's really it. Our commitment to, to traditional yoga is, is strong. And so just be aware of that. And if your commitment to traditional yoga is also strong, then we're definitely the right match for you. Um, anything else you want to cover before we, we finish? Is there anything I haven't touched on you wanted to mention or you wanted to share? Are we... Uh... Um, We're all, are we all set? <laughs> I don't know. I guess, I guess I think I said it all. I mean, I Great. talked kind of a lot. So, <laughs> well, that was the point. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny these days, no one really asks your opinion or anything. So <laughs> it's always a delight to have someone ask my opinion. So <laughs> thank you very much. My pleasure. Where can people find you if they want to know more about you or about this method? I'll put all the links in the show notes, but where's the best place for them to reach out? Probably our website okay. is the best. And um, we have aerialyoga.com, but it's also we have unata.com, U-N-N-A-T-A. Perfect. And that will also send you over. So Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was a delight to talk to you. Thank you, Erica. Thank you so much for listening. We have other great guests coming up, so make sure to subscribe. Now, if you want to make my day and get a chance to win a $75 shop card from Atleta, all you have to do is head on to iTunes or on your podcast app of your iPhone and write a review. As you leave a review, you automatically enter a giveaway, and I will announce the winner on the next episode. If you're newer to reviews, check out the show notes for instructions or for more info about our guests of today, or go to my website, ericabelanger.com slash blog dash podcast, and I write Erica with a K. Now, last episode, Athleta was also giving out a $75 shop card. Thank you so much if you left a review. There were some great comments. The winner of that giveaway is user Jen Lipitsky. Jen wrote, I love your interview style. Good questions. Learned what is booty, but was pulled in right away with Busy's childbirth story, of which I experienced on my own, very similar, and immediately identify with her. Thank you for sharing and enlightening. Well, thank you, Jen, for your comment. 
See, it's that simple. Email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and I'll send you your shop card. Once again, guys, thank you for joining us and until next time.